You want to take it from the top? Yeah, let's try it. Okay. He will rock you. He Definitely cool. Let's lay it down. Nick? You wanna lay it down? Are we rolling on the rehearsal? we've seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is. The Rosencrantz to my Guildenstern. The Leopold to my lobe. <laughs> Teal. How's it going, buddy? Okay. How many Leopold and Loeb movies can you name? Ooh, well, I'm going to go with the first is Rope. Yes. Okay. Um, another one that's not quite Rope, but it's another Hitchcock is Strangers on a Train. Mm-hmm. Which isn't really Leopold and Lowe, but you know, okay. Then Swoon is the one. Swoon is the one you were thinking of. Now, is there any other Leopold and Lobes? There is. What's that one? There is one called Murder by Numbers. Murder by Numbers. Oh, is that the one with the gosling? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. with Sandra, Sandra Bullock. <laughs> the cute little <laughs> blue Ryan gosling. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I've seen that. I actually saw it in the theater. I have no idea why. It's got that Michael Pitt dude in it. Yes, it's got Michael Pitt, and it's directed by Barbet Schroeder, who we were talking oh, about. Oh, the Barbet. Yeah. Mr. Barfly himself. And Mr. Barfly himself, who we were just talking about. Isn't that great? I don't know, maybe it was you that originally <laughs> told me that story, or maybe it was Bill from Queens, who, by the way, Bill was supposed to be on the show, but he had some mic issues, so he's not on the show. But uh, there's a great Barbet Schroeder story about how he got to make Barfly, you know this one? Uh, I don't know this one. No. You don't know where he walked into the producer and got to his desk and he pulled out a gun and he stuck it to his head. He says, I want you to read this and I want you to produce the script or I'm going to kill myself. And I could be wrong on the story to some <laughs> degree, but I think there is, after I'd heard it years later, I read about it and I was like, oh, wow, it's not quite the story I heard, but it's fairly on point. Uh, yeah. So okay. Barbara Schroeder, he, he's a, 
<laughs> he goes to the mat for his art. Just the other day, uh, very sad. Uh, and we may end up talking about him uh, later in the program if we get to that, get far, as you know. But uh, Alan Davio, uh, yes. great cinematographer, just passed away, 77, from complications from the coronavirus. Yes. And that was sad. I mean, I guess he'd been in a uh, retirement home in Hollywood. Oh, okay. And I hadn't heard from him in years. And he yeah. was 77. And his peak was really a stretch from about 1982 up to yeah. like 92. It was a good 10-year run. Yeah. Um, and he did other things afterwards, but just, you know, it's funny. It, it, this happens with actors. It happens with directors. It happens with the cinematographers. You might have a really amazing stretch. And then, you know, the rest of your career may not equal that one golden period. Yeah. Here's five films. These five, okay. he was all nominated for best cinematography from. And if you just have seen these movies and you think about it, they are just, they are gorgeous looking. Uh, one is E.T., yeah. He lost out to Gandhi uh, for that. And then he continued working with Spielberg on certain films, I guess more of like Spielberg's serious works. Yeah. And he did the cinematography for The Color Purple, which was a great looking film. Yeah. And he was also nominated uh, for a film that wasn't my favorite, but it looked amazing, was Empire of the Sun. Yeah, I haven't seen that in a long time. I know a lot. It wasn't super well received by critics, but it's got its fans. Uh, and then he, I think he may have also done Always with Spielberg, which I think is one of Spielberg's weakest movies. Weakest? It's terrible. Oh, well, yes, but he's also made some other films that I think are even worse. So, <laughs> um, but uh, then he uh, did, and he was nominated for Barry Levinson's Avalon. Yeah. And he was nominated for Barry Levinson's Bugsy, which I think yes. is fantastic looking. Um, and then he also did Defending Your Life with Albert Brooks. Yep. Um, so, you know, again, uh, terrific cinematographer. I'm very sorry to hear the news. But yeah, he had a run there of some great, but it's sort of, uh, I, I would say the last uh, 20 years have not been... He, he didn't, yeah, he just, I don't know if he uh, basically retired, but he stopped doing features. Well, that's what I looked at. I mean, there was some TV stuff and just some other weird oddities, and maybe it was just enough to keep him going. But something there happened, and I didn't yeah. I haven't delved into the, the story of Alan Tavio, but uh, certainly in, unlike a Roger Deakins, who's just been working right. steadily for over 20 years. You know? Yeah. But anyways, one other person passed away, to my knowledge, just of natural causes this week, and he was 81 was character actor Brian Dennehy. Yes. And here's a guy that wasn't in a ton of movies and he did a lot of the theater, but I loved him in a couple movies. I, I loved him as the sort of head of the aliens in Cocoon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I also really liked him as this police cop in this kind of weird 80s movie that I guess maybe a lot of people don't even know about these days, but it's called FX. Oh, people know about FX. Do they, though? Yeah, I, I think I, younger people might not. Uh, well, younger people don't know anything. <laughs> you old crotchety <laughs> old man, you. Uh, but I loved FX. As a, yeah, know, I loved like, FX, too, with Brian Brown. Brian Brown. I, yeah. There's another guy you don't see too much anymore, but I no. love the combination of Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy in this movie. Dennehy in uh, Silverado. Oh, yes, Silverado. That's another one that I bet a lot of those young students yeah. don't know. And so, you know, I'm sorry to hear that he passed away this week. 
incredibly charismatic actor. Like you, when he comes on, you can't take your eyes off him. And then he also had a really interesting role in the late 80s in a Peter Greenaway movie, The Belly of an Architect. Oh, yes. I love that movie. I do, too. <laughs> I mean, in, in a way, you know, it makes me feel sick to watch it. But yes. I... <laughs> <laughs> like most Peter Greenaway movies. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. So when we last left off, we had finished 94 for the Academy <laughs> Awards for Best Picture. Yes. And now we're going to do the second half. And there are some great films in the later half of the 90s and some classics and some duds. And a mixture of all of those are in the nominees. We were supposed to have Bill from Queens talking about the 90s with us. Yes. Uh, do you have any of uh, his suggestions in, in mind that we can you can sort of sprinkle in through here? He'd started to give me a few, uh, and mostly on the first year. So even though I thought this year we weren't going to have a lot to talk about, maybe we will. And that's 1995. Okay. Now, 1995 is really a strange year because I think out of all the years of that decade, it has... There's some good movies that came out that year. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I don't think the slate is that strong in that the top five don't excite me that much. And right. I have a hard time filling out what I would replace it with that I actually feel would also be a good representation for Best Picture. Right. Except okay. for one movie, which I undeniably thought was the greatest film of 95. And it did not get nominated for Best Picture. And it did get nominated for Best Director, however. Interesting. And so okay. I was at least happy about that, but I was sad that it was not going to even have a chance at winning. <laughs> uh, the winner that year for Best Picture and Director and a whole bunch of other awards, technical mm -hmm. achievements, was Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Yeah, that, uh, wow, you know, <laughs> I saw it in the theater at the time. You did? Yeah. And your thoughts? I thought it was kind of fun. Good old fun, especially the end. <laughs> I'm just joking. It wasn't something that struck me as like, here's an amazing movie. I just thought it was pretty good. I didn't know that much about the subject matter, so I didn't know how uh, historically inaccurate it was. But man, that movie has not aged well. I remember when it came out. It came out that late spring. It was yeah. right before the summer movies came out in 95. And the reviews, I wouldn't say they were horrible, but they were mediocre at best. Exactly. And th and that's how I felt about the movie. I, I, I would have given it like a 7 out of 10 at the time or something. And it did pretty well at the time. It, yeah. it, it did well. And I worked at a job where I worked nights and it was like Sunday through Thursday. So I had Friday and Saturday off and I sometimes was tired and, and whatever. I did not get to see Braveheart okay. in the theater. I kind of wanted to, but I don't know. It wasn't, it didn't appeal too much and there was no critical buzz. Right, right. There was no buzz. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you're saying, when you saw that movie, you said, that's fine. But I bet you the last thing you were thinking of is that right. come Oscar time, months from now, this is going to be the big film. Yeah. No, that was, I, I, I would not have predicted that. So I think most people would not have. And it just shows you, I think, what a weak year that the Academy was looking for one of those consensus things where they could yeah. just all get behind a movie. At that time, Mel Gibson was beloved in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes. He could do no wrong. Yep. And I think that they always liked when an actor who was very popular amongst the Hollywood crowd. Does a historical epic like Dances with Wolves? Yeah. They're like, wow, look at this guy. <laughs> he, he actually can direct a movie. And the, and the fight scenes, as I recall, were pretty good 
good, right? As I recall. I didn't see it in the theater, and it was one of the rare times when a movie gets nominated for Best Picture and wins, and I have not seen it. And I mm. didn't get to see it until it was 96. And yeah. it was the winter, had just won, and my friend who lived in the apartment complex that I had just moved into. Yeah. This guy, Mike, uh, he listens to our show, by the way, sometimes. And How's it going, Mike? Yeah. Shout out to Mike. <laughs> and he'll be, he'll be happy. I'll say finally he got this shout out because I actually <laughs> go to the movies when I go back to Massachusetts. He sometimes comes in for some of those 70 millimeter screens. Oh, okay. And he was with my son and I when I went to see Joker. And, uh, you know, that episode kind of got messed up. I didn't get to mention uh, Mike. And afterwards, he listens to the episode and, and he didn't get his shout out. Okay. Well, he's getting in now. Yes. <laughs> So he was a guy who always had the latest technology and he had a laser disc player. Oh. So he, and this is before DVD, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. he invited uh, my girlfriend at the time and I over and we got to watch Braveheart on Laserdisc. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought, you know, okay, it was, it was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty good. But I didn't think it was a best picture. <laughs> Just So and then I've only seen the movie one time. And you haven't caught parts of it? Nope. I mean, isn't it just... <laughs> no. <laughs> it may have run by my finger as I was going to cable, but I had no interest right. in ever seeing that film again. Yeah. I, I'm. It's definitely not something I'm digging out of the back catalog to rewatch uh, anytime soon. Uh, but I see this is why I wish Bill from... Billy, Bill from Queens, the guy is Scottish and Irish, and I'm, I'm sure he would have loved it at the time, and I wanted to know if he went out to see it. Okay, so we don't have any more to say about Braveheart, and what yeah. was its biggest competition of the five nominees? It was probably this one, Apollo 13. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard. I enjoy that movie. I enjoy it. But here's an interesting thing. Ron Howard's another one of those always a bridesmaid, never yeah. a bride. Yeah. Uh, he got a DJ nomination in 85 for Cocoon, but that right. wasn't nominated. And this movie, he actually wins the DGA that year. Right. For Apollo 13, partly as a consolation because he wasn't nominated for Best Director. Yeah, he really should have been. That's... Uh it's probably his best film. I myself saw that opening night. It was very exciting because I, I, I had to take myself back to the summer. When that came out, it was it was a pretty big talked about movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely, it was one of those that got sort of a convert national conversation going. And suddenly there were astronauts on all the talk shows. And, yeah. And also, I mean, it, it did add a phrase into the lexicon, which is Houston, yes. we have a problem. Uh, it did. <laughs> I went and saw that, I think, with my sister. And we went to a late show there were some guys in there talking uh, and they kind of were annoying and I was kind of aggravated throughout the movie and it did break my concentration. Oh, yeah. And so I don't know if I enjoyed it as much as I might have without those guys there. <laughs> this is like the third episode <laughs> in a row now where we talk about somebody being obnoxious in the theater. First was Carrie and her pals ruining Citizen Kane. Then it was me and my pals ruining Prince of Tides. And now it was some other unknown people <laughs> ruining Apollo 13 for me. Okay. Well, that's that's sad. But I never thought the movie was that great. It doesn't have that emotional lift at the end. It's kind of like, oh, yeah, they do survive, and we knew that they survived. It's the Tom Hanks, Gary Sinise uh, charm wagon. Well, it definitely feels like the kind of thing that the Academy nominates. Yes. Yeah. It's so funny, man. The director's branch really must have had it in for Ron Howard, and I think it's because he started in TV, and at that time, yeah. there was a whole thing, you know? 
All right, the next movie got nominated for Best Picture and Director, and I actually, out of the five, out of the five that were nominated, was my favorite of the movies, so I actually was happy it got nominated, was, was Babe. Oh, yes. Okay. I thought it was a very well done movie, and just because it's for kids, it was, a, it was a kid movie that I saw as an adult, and I thought it was very charming. The first time we watched this with my daughter, there's a scene where he comes in with the gun. Oh, yes. That really freaked her out. It's just kind of, a, you know, it's, it's like Disney of old, where it was a little scary for kids. It's a little scary, and she was really scared, and she was like, I hate this movie. This is the worst movie ever. Oh, no, but but it gets better at the end, I mean. It, it does, it does, but that just freaked her out so much that she, like, decided to hate the movie, and, you know, when she was five or something. I would have been excited if it won over Braveheart, but it didn't, so anyways. Yeah. Now, this next movie, this is almost laughable. Okay, and this is again we're you know we we're talking about this monster Harvey Weinstein, but yeah. because Weinstein from in the '90s and in the first ten years of the 2000s, this guy was the undeniable force, and he wielded his power to get his movies nominated and quite often win awards, and yes. That's like a big thing because nobody had that power in many years and nothing sort of says how much power he had better than this piece of crap movie (laughs) that I went to see because it got nominated for Best Picture. I missed it when it was first out and then it got a bigger release because of that. And I still to this day am scratching my head that Il Postino, the postman, was nominated for Best Picture and Director. How did... Um, Have you ever seen this movie? Yes. It's horrible. It's terrible. It is a not a good movie. Wow. But Weinstein pulled all of these crazy stunts, and he really played up the angle that the actor was very, very sick, and he still he knew he was dying, but he wanted to do this role, right. and then he does pass away, and he actually got him a nomination for Best Actor posthumously. Man. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when the movie that I thought was so great did not even get nominated for Best Picture, it irked me, and I really looked and zeroed in at The Postman. <laughs> right, yeah, The Postman, yeah, that <laughs> Il Postino, yeah. No, that should not have belonged. There's so many other movies you could slot in there. If you're listening right now, don't go look up Il Postino. No. All right, and then another movie that got nominated that year was Sense and Sensibility, Ang Lee. Uh, it didn't get nominated for Best Director. They hadn't fallen in love with him as a director yet. Okay. And I don't really think that that was that great. It's pretty good. Wasn't my, wasn't my <laughs> So bag. far, all of these movies, every movie so far, I've thought, yeah, it's a pretty good movie. Except for The, the Postman. Except for The Postman. But yeah, Sense and Sensibility, pretty good movie. Braveheart, yeah, pretty good I can't, movie. I didn't say it was a bad movie, right. But these are the best pictures. I will um, now tell you the two movies that got Best Director instead. And I yeah. think that they both would have been better uh, choices for Best Picture. Okay. And the first is, and this was a surprise, and- I thought it was okay when I first saw the movie, but then I've seen it in the last few years and I really appreciated it in a way I didn't the first time was Tim Robbins, Dead Man Walking. Oh yeah, that, man, I saw that two or maybe even three times in the theater. Yeah, it was, I mean, he did a great job, uh, great performance yeah. by uh, Sean Penn. Sean Penn. His first Oscar nomination. Yeah. it uh, Susan Sarandon won an Oscar. Yes. Um, for her portrayal. And I was a little mad at that because I also thought there was an actress that did a better job. Um, and I just was rooting for that actress. And it, right. it was Susan's year. But uh, also, you know who shot uh, Dead Man Walking? I don't. Because when I watched it a couple of years ago, I was struck by how 
gorgeous this film looks. right just even for a simple low budget film i'm like why does this movie look so good roger deakins okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> um now here's the movie to me it was unquestionably i thought it was the it was far and away the best film of 95 uh-huh. and i thought it was one of the f- best films of the decade i saw this movie three times in the theater wow and the big story was the actor in it and his performance, which I thought was one of the best performances of that decade. And then his career went completely down the toilet afterwards. He won the Oscar that year. Uh, so this director got nominated, but the movie did not, which was Mike Figgis leaving Las Vegas. Oh, that. Uh... I've seen that movie a good eight times. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And I thought Elizabeth Shue should have won Best Actress. She should she should have won, yeah. Man, that's an intense movie. Yeah, but how does that not get into the top five out of those other movies? These millennials. Okay, yeah, these millennials. <laughs> Tell me about them. These millennials make a lot of jokes about Nicolas Cage. No, we know a different Cage. Well, we know a different, and that's my point, is, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of these Nicolas Cage jokes, and I just say, go watch Leaving Las Vegas and get back to me. It's a performance that still, I've seen it a few years ago, and it is a little dated, I guess, but man, his performance, you're watching it, and you're like, how is this guy, is he, is he drunk himself? Like, I, right. I, it's, it's amazing. It, yeah, it's incredible. But the, there were there were a couple other movies in 95 that I think, you know, deserve an honorable mention. There are movies from 95 that whether or not they should have been, uh, you know, Best Picture nominees, yeah. they are movies that people do not forget. And it's funny is that you can't, you tell me anybody remembers The Postman, but, you know, yeah. tell me some of your choices and we'll see if they match up with Ace, the stuff that I remember and also that Bill had sent me. Um, how about Before Sunrise? Loved that movie. Yeah, I'm not saying necessarily it should have been Best Picture, but it was a great film. It was probably in my top 10. Yeah. Uh, Casino. Now, there's a film that I I still have problems with. Bill loved it. He thought he should be in the Best Picture. Yeah. I think the first half is really good, and it goes to a real um, lag. Yeah. In my opinion. Yep, I agree. It gets a little bit too much with Sharon Stone's character, and it's just not that enjoyable. I would agree. I haven't watched the movie from beginning to end a lot, but I have watched the first half of the movie many times. So, 95 also is the home of one of the worst movies of the decade. Oh, what was that? That was so bad that it became a cult film. What's that? Showgirls. (gasps) <laughs> yeah, it's very notorious. The most notorious film of the '90s. The most notorious film of the '90s. Yeah, I saw it in the theater. I saw it at uh, I saw it at the DGA. Now you have to tell me that story. <laughs> you have to tell me that story of a why you were there, seeing it there, and what was the reaction. There, uh, I you know I had a friend who was a member or something, and he said, "Hey, come along, let's go see this movie," <laughs> and. Uh, the audience was in hysterics. <laughs> I wish I could have been there for that. You know, there's this, uh, uh, the DGA probably, and I went there a bunch of times uh, with this guy, and he, uh, it, it was the most disrespectful audience I've ever been in the theater with. Wow. <laughs> if they thought something was bull, they would laugh, uh, they would cackle, they would uh, roll their eyes. Yeah, I mean, it just, the, the reality actions if, if they thought the director was getting away with something you could hear it before it came out and it launched with such a thud and the critics just drubbed it the controversy was whoa 
we don't get very many NC-17 movies. Exactly. And here's yeah. one. So just on that fact, my girlfriend at the time, Elaine, and I, opening night, we went to the theater. <laughs> and my sister had some friends from college. We all went. They sat in a different spot. And I think we went to like a like 11 o'clock show or something. And I remember the theater was pretty crowded. There might have been some laughs, etc. But I remember at the end of it thinking... Well, that was good trashy fun. Yeah. And it was actually not, no, it wasn't that bad. And then I read like the reviews and then it got like completely trash. And I was like, well, I completely misread that movie. Um, <laughs> and I've never seen it again. I've only seen it once. I, I, I only saw that one time at the DGA and it was uh, jaw droppingly bizarre. It's a really weird movie in, in my memory. I Now I kind of want to see it again. It's that scene that I just thought was so gratuitous and violent against women where that one guy beats up the friend. Oh, yeah. And it really, it just, it's such a, it was in poor taste then. It's in terrible taste now. And that really, I think, turned off a lot of people that movie where they're saying, you know what, this is just nothing but exploitative crap. Out of all the films that came out that year, the movie that I saw in the theater opening day, and only did that because it, we had a very snowy winter that 95, and especially like that December, and my work kept on letting us out early because the snow was so bad. And I right. went, like, got out of work early, and my friend called me up. He was out of work, and we went over to the theater, and we were one of the only people in opening day to see a film that we thought was fantastic, but I couldn't get a single person to go see that movie. It <laughs> bombed pretty hard. It got no nominations, and now it is considered a revisionist crime classic and that is michael mann's heat yes it is just people you know people love that movie i've seen it a bunch of times it is a great film i've only seen it the one time did you see it in theater yeah yeah no i've seen it several times uh it's a very good engrossing movie yeah and then another movie i never saw in the theater i saw it only one time on video it's not really my thing i do wish i could see a special print that was right. done for certain theaters at the time where they like did a special process of the prints to strip out some of the color is David Fincher's seven. Yes. And that people still watch that. I think. Oh yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't either, but it's definitely uh it's survived. Uh, and that's also of course the year of the spacey where he yep. was in uh, that movie and he was also Kaiser Soze in yep. uh, the usual suspects, which is another movie that, well now, now, <laughs> For a lot of reasons, people probably aren't going to watch it, but I thought it was okay at the time. I was not a big fan of it. Um, I saw it once. I think I saw it twice. I think I saw it later on video or something. I but may I have did seen it on video. I did see it in the theater, and I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Boy, people love that movie, though. They did. So it's just so funny that all the movies... Oh, and then, of course, uh, it's a classic. It kicked off an entire... It changed film, as we say. I was never a big fan of this particular movie. I liked the sequels a lot better, and that is Toy Story. Yes. It's just amazing. All these classic movies, and none of them were to be found in the 95 assortment. Uh, well, Braveheart and Apollo 13 have, and Babe, they, they're, they're movies that are definitely 95 films. Sense and Sensibility yes. and The Postman, forget that. <laughs> And Waterworld. And I, oh, was that 95? That was 95. I saw it in the theater. I did. I saw that in the theater because I felt like I got to see this. And, and then I was disappointed it wasn't that bad. 
I saw it in the theater too, and I actually thought it was pretty fun. Yeah, I was like, this isn't that bad. It was just more about the story of how much this thing cost. Right, right. But yeah, not not the movie's not as bad as its reputation. No. Uh, all right, but hey, guess what? Now, in, in our fashion, it's taken us a long time to get through that first year. Now we're into 96. Okay. Yes, the the great 96. This is tough because there are a couple of movies that I thought were actual masterpieces that got right. nominated. And yet the winner is a movie that I've seen from beginning to end one time because it's such a snooze fest is The English Patient, winner, best picture director. Yeah, and I think it's important to point out, it, a lot of people loved this movie at the time. They probably still do. For me, this movie was destroyed by uh, Seinfeld. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, what are you talking so, about? Yes. Yes. There was a Seinfeld episode about the English patient, and they just tore into this movie, and it was hysterical, and they tore into the people who like the movie. And that's why I love that because I'm like, they're, they're speaking my language. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it was, it's a hilarious episode, but yeah, it kind of, uh, I think that episode kind of took the movie down a couple of notches in uh, some people's estimation because they really did point out just how awfully snoozy this movie is, how ridiculously melodramatic it is at times. Well, you remember, whenever it comes to the Oscars, they always reach out anonymously to Academy voters and ask their mm -hmm. opinions. I remember reading this one right before the award ceremony, and it really infuriated me. They, they got to this one person. The person was a comedian. I actually suspect, based on uh, who they, how they described the person, that it was Robin Williams, but we'll never uh -huh. know. And they asked what the favorite movie was. And that person unequivocally said the best movie, unbelievable, was this other film that got nominated that year, which we'll talk about in a moment. Yeah. And they're like, oh, so you voted for that? And they're like, no, I voted for The English Patient. And they're like, well, why? Well, because it seems important. And see, that's oh, what yeah. the Academy's all about. They don't pick what they actually think is the best, <laughs> the most important. The most important. And, and I got to say, The English Patient, I don't think this movie has survived very well. I mean, who watches? It never shows up anywhere. Uh, that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I, you don't hear people talking about it. Boo-hoo to that, because especially where I could live with it being a nominee, even though it was not even a top 10 movie for me. Right. Uh, and I saw the theater and I struggled to stay awake in it. I'm like, wow, I'm like watching uh, Out of Africa again. <laughs> right. This is what really pissed me off, because to me, you there's not even a question. The best film of 96 and one of the top films of that decade was your nominee and not winner, the Coen Brothers Fargo. Yes. Now, Fargo's been imitated, duplicated, and so it may not seem as fresh, but dude, nobody had seen a movie like this come out. No. And I saw it in the theater. I loved it. Uh, I still love it. It's. I think you're right. It's an influential movie. It, it had a lot of impact on the way stories are told, I think. And with like sort of like these movies that kind of keep upping the ante and you're like, exactly. you know. There's a vaudeville routine where a guy's in the kitchen and like drops stuff and slips and then like the toast starts burning and so he's, it's a guy in a kitchen and things get wor progressively worse and worse and worse until finally the stove explodes <laughs> and so it's a comedy routine but it's it's a similar sort of story structure to something like Vargo where it just keeps piling on upping the stakes upping the ante and it gets worse and worse and worse as it goes on what a lot of maybe today's young 
film goers may not understand is the Coen brothers had never had a box office hit right at this point. They were art uh, house guys and Blood Simple was an art house hit. Yeah. And Raising Arizona got into theaters, but people think that that was a big hit would be mistaken. <laughs> it was not. It was a little scene. It had a good life on home video. Yes. And that's where people started falling in love with it. Yeah. Then their next film, also a huge bomb, was Miller's Crossing. Yes. And we all saw that and you did not like it. And I didn't really like it. But then over the years, I, I ended up seeing it again. I, I thought it was a masterpiece. Yeah. Another movie that I could never really get into. Uh, it's very bleak. As the movie that they followed up with, it was also a bomb, was Barton Fink. Yeah. And I don't like that either. And then the Hudsucker Proxy yes. was a was a really big bomb because it cost a fortune. Exactly. It was their most expensive movie. (laughs) So I'm setting the stage because at the time, right, the Coen brothers were off everyone's radar screen. Yes. They had not made a movie in a couple years. And, you know, in 96, this was February of 96, there were, unless you were reading stuff, the internet hadn't taken hold where you would just read up on these movies. Right. So if a film director, there was no IMDb and if a film- Exactly, yeah. You might not know a film director or directors had a film coming out. Right. February 96, I had mentioned that 95 was a very snowy December and it continued to be super snowy in January and in February it was snowing like all the time. Uh, I worked in this uh, company, this plastics company with that guy I just mentioned earlier, Mike. And we would always win tickets to go see movie screenings. So I got tickets to see this movie Fargo which was by the Coen brothers. And I thought, hey, that's pretty cool. The Coen brothers got a new movie out. Awesome. Nobody nobody told me. I go in with my girlfriend to Boston. It was very snowy, but we still drove in and we got there. And they were giving away these little gift bags where you got a poster and you got like a little plastic snow scraper. <laughs> it was yellow and it said Fargo that's on awesome. it. And there may have been some other goodies and we looked at the poster and it looked like somebody had done needlepoint of the poster. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And it showed like a car flipped over and like a, someone in blood or something. And, yeah. and it said like a homespun murder mystery, right? So that's all I had to go on. I mean, I didn't have any knowledge about what this movie was that we were going to see a preview <laughs> was. I didn't know they were making any film. I, had, I just, there was nothing. So the, the, the titles come up and it said everything that, is a true story. Yeah. I had no reason to doubt that. No, no, no. Me neither. Yeah. And I thought, oh, you know, as I watched it unfold, my brain started to play a trick on me. I started to think, <laughs> I think I heard about this. I think I heard about a kidnapping that went wrong. And so when this is over, all of the insane things that happen in this movie, right? if you didn't have that title at the beginning, you might say, oh, this is so over the top. Right, right, right. But it tricks you. It really does work. It's like, wow, sometimes the real story is crazier than fiction. Yes. And it's such a masterstroke that they put this there and they don't go winking throughout the movie. No. That, oh, this is tongue in cheek. And everything that happened, I really was like... I've never seen anything quite like this movie before. Yep. And when the movie was over, there weren't many of us in the theater because not too many people came out in the snow. None of us left. We were kind of looking around at each other and we started talking to each other and saying, 
we were kind of excited. Like, yeah, like, yeah, I, you, did, I, yeah. It was like, did you like that movie as much as I just liked that movie? <laughs> was that movie not like maybe the best? Because when I see a great, great film, sometimes it takes a minute to realize, right? You're like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Was that am I? There's a few times when it's over. I say it's going to be hard to beat that film for best film of the year. Yep. And when I had that, I said, oh, this is now the benchmark for the rest of 96. For the rest of 96, <laughs> Can yeah. something beat this movie? And it did, and nothing did, though I saw another movie that's also on this list that not only say came close, but it would have been my second that year. Okay, what do you got? That was Secrets and Lies, Mike Lee. Oh, yes, that... Uh, I. It's an acting tour de force. It's an acting tour de force. Yeah, that, I, I think that movie's a masterpiece. It is so great. It, you know, Mike Lee, had it, he does this thing where he works with his actors and he, and he improvises. And they sort and of he, write the script together. It, it, they the do, thing is, yeah. I've read about this. By the time they go to shoot, the script is totally locked down. There's no improvisation in the movie itself. But it feels so natural. But it feels so natural because they've spent months working on these characters work workshopping these scenes yeah there's just so much in that movie and if you've never seen secrets and lies damn it you go out and you find it and you watch yeah it. yeah that movie is so great yeah and it's really i think a high point from well i don't know life is sweet is pretty great so then also nominated for best picture that year it was pretty big sensation and yet it didn't get nominated for best director this guy has never been nominated for best director probably his direction is probably the weakest parts of his movies. Yeah. And that is uh, Cameron Crowe's Jerry Maguire. Okay. Which is, I think, probably the best Cameron Crowe movie. Well, I would say Almost Famous is. Oh, interesting. Uh, I, I, okay. We could debate that. But you haven't seen the uncut version of Almost Famous. I have not seen the uncut version. So, I, But I think Jerry Maguire is a great movie. I don't. Really? I thought it was an okay movie. I saw it in opening night <laughs> in the theater, and I've never seen a beginning to end since. Okay, I've seen it a couple of times, and I fall for it. I don't like the kid in it. <laughs> I understand not liking the kid, but I fall for the love story. I mean, not that I don't fall for the love story. I like it. It's just that the movie, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, what it comes down to for me is the movie clicks with me. I, I, I'm Also, I kind of like Tom Cruise. I know a lot of people hate Tom Cruise. But um, well, I don't like his weird, wacky beliefs, but I mean, I like him. His, as an actor, I find his acting pretty good. Yeah, I find him appealing, and I like watching him, and I thought this was, uh, he, he did some interesting things with his performance, and I don't know, I, I uh, the movie charms me. I like the movie a lot. All right, so Jerry Maguire doesn't get nominated for Best Director. What does instead, and this is kind of an odd duck, and I didn't think it was that great a movie. I mean, I appreciate it. I've seen it a couple times, was Milos Forman's People versus Larry Flint. I really liked that when it first came out. I saw it, you know, and I, I saw it. Director, though, I don't know. I would I would not put it up for best director. I th I thought it was a really fun movie. I like I like the Woody Harrelson performance. It's an it, yeah. I I liked the movie, but I best picture or best director. No. Well, I would have given it to Cameron Crowe. I would have just kept it consistent. If you're going to give yeah. it to Jerry Moore. So uh, then the last film, and again, I saw this in the theater. It won best actor. I thought the performance. It's actually a short performance because different actors play him at different ages. Right. And it's not a very good movie, and he should not have won Best or, uh, Actor. It was nominated for Picture and Director. That director has gone on to do nothing of note afterwards, <laughs> and that was Scott Hicks's Shine. 
Oh, remember that movie? <laughs> oh, all too well. Yeah, not that not that good a movie. Yeah, and there was there was some hype around Scott Hicks, like that lasted until his next movie came out. Yeah, Shine was one of those movies that sort of like caught on in the popular consciousness, and everyone was just like, "Yay, Shine!" And then. Oh, man, this guy, uh, David Helfgoff or something, I think was his name. That's the character, yeah. The, That's the, the, the real character. Guy. It was David Helfgoff, the, yeah. Yeah, the real guy. And then they had him come and play at the Oscars. They dragged him out on a tour, right, to play classical yes. music. But then the knock was he was not that good. Because he had severe disabilities. He has severe disabilities. So he was not, so he made a lot of mistakes and, yeah. He played, like, at the Boston Philharmonic or something. Right. At Symphony Hall, my girlfriend at the time and I got tickets to that performance. <laughs> and it was not, we, everybody was like, oh, okay. Yeah, not so good. It was weird. It was kind of strangely offensive that they took this disabled guy and like paraded him around. So if they had done that before the Oscars came out, <laughs> I don't think you'd have seen quite the, the praise. Yeah. All right. So, hey, now we're into 97. This is not one I think should have been nominated. But while we're on 96, I'm throwing it out there because it's a hidden gem oh. for watching with your kids. Fly away home. You can see that on Criterion. Channel. Oh, you can. Okay. Oh, yeah. They have it as their mat. They call it their matinees. But if you're looking yeah, for yeah. if you're looking for movies to watch with your kids on like a say Saturday afternoon, Criterion yeah. has a collection of films that they think you should watch with your kids. And Fly Away Home, I I think it's one of the great sort of family films of all time. Actually, I, I've seen Carol this movie. Carol Ballard, right? Carol Ballard. I've seen it a dozen times. It's yeah. It, it's a really sort of heartwarming family film. It's absolutely what you said. Hidden gem because. A lot of people still don't know about it, and I yeah. even forget about it. And I loved it at the time. Yep, I and I, I watched it. Uh, it's I watched it three or four years ago with my kids, and they loved it. Good movie. Okay, so now ninety seven. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is funny. This is a big one. Is that this movie? Uh, well, we, you know, you don't no introduction, right? Best picture, best director wasn't gonna not win. The, the most <laughs> most biggest sensation ever was Titanic. Yep. You know, I was a 27-year-old, so I wasn't all the hyped up over the DiCaprio, but I was the initial wave, right? I had been looking forward to this movie because I was a Me Titanic too. junkie. I remember that summer seeing the Titanic cups at the movie theater. and the I actually read the screenplay about two years before the movie came out. Well, look at you, Pikachu. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody gave me a copy of the script and I, I read it in one sitting. It was such an entertaining script and written with such energy and forward momentum and this was like a new thing back then now now i think movies do this all the time they do it with like every star wars movie where suddenly the movie's not ready for july right and it's gonna go come out in december and i'm like crushed because i'd seen like the trailer and i'm like oh yeah. i gotta wait but that's when the rumor started that this is a troubled production yes. and the movie's way over budget. It's the most expensive film ever made. It's going to be this awful disaster. James Cameron, forget about it. So it comes out in December. And I was still excited because, I mean, I Jen, Titanic is what I wanted to see. And a few days before it opens, the word is out. Critics are saying, no, no, this isn't just, this is a great movie. It's amazing. So I was excited to see it. I go see it opening night and there was a new theater that had opened up and a bunch of us you know, went to that theater to see it. And 
you know, it was a great, great time. Super action, yeah. you know, loved it. Great spectacle. Thought DiCaprio was fantastic. Thought Billy Zane was hilarious. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, I mean, it was cheesy, but it was great and loved yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So, and the first weekend, it, it did pretty well. It was like number one yeah. and everything. But then, oh, it became a phenomenon. It became an absolute phenomenon. I, I saw it three times in the theater. I only saw it the once in the theater. And I don't know why. It was just like, wow, busy. I was seeing other things. Yeah. And, you know, it's I, I don't know. I, I wish I had seen it again because I didn't see it when all the hype and like when teenage girls were seeing it 15 times. And yeah, stuff. that's I when I and it was one of those things where like, you know, uh, I would go with somebody who hadn't seen it before who wanted to see it. Well, I kept on wanting to see it. My mom's boyfriend refused to see it. He was that person. He's like, eh, I don't know what it was resistance was, but he wouldn't go see it in the theater. I wanted to punch him. <laughs> but I, you got to tell me, what was the experience like with all of these, you know, teenage girls swooning? Oh, it was just fantastic. I mean, you you get caught up in that energy and yeah, the teenage girl swooning and just the romance of it and the the spectacle of it and you could the whole audience there's a point at which everyone is breathing in time with each other. Do you wow. know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, that's with that stuff. That's that communal experience. In the that's theater. that communal experience. And yeah, and it was like that. Let's see, I saw once at Man's Chinese, actually. Oh, my God. That's great. And I can't I can't remember where I saw it the other two times, but I saw it three times in the theater. And I, I, I fell for the movie. Totally fell for it. Loved it. Did not necessarily think it should have won Best Picture. No. but. But, but it was one of those things where, you know, when a movie, it, it was everything Titanic, you knew that it wasn't going to lose. There was just no exactly. way. Exactly, I mean, yeah. Uh, Mr. King of the World, James Cameron, knew he was going to win. He knew he was going to win. And yeah, and Amistad had no ch chance. Well, thankfully, <laughs> Amistad didn't even get nominated. I did not like Amistad. Uh, however, I did like this movie that was nominated for Best Picture and Director, and I thought it was the best film of 97. Yeah. Let's see if you agree. L.A. Confidential. I was just going to say that I, I had that. It was on the tip, tip of my tongue. Yeah. L.A. Confidential, I think, is the movie from that year that I, I, I've seen L.A. Confidential probably 20 times. I love that movie. Well, have you taught that one? Yes. Okay, because I'm like 20 times. I mean, I've seen it a good like six or seven. But. Yeah, I've seen it. I, yeah, I've, I taught it before because it's such a tight script. I mean, the, the fact that it took this massive book and boiled it down. Have you ever read the book? No. That's the thing is it's nothing like the book, but you really appreciate because the book doesn't seem like it could ever be a movie. And it's an incredibly tight script. It's got several great central performances. It shows L.A. in a way we hadn't seen in a movie before. Well, that's what's so great about Curtis Hanson's direction. Yes. He went to locations that still existed. Exactly. And had been largely untouched. And so it really lends an authenticity to the period that other films felt mm -hmm. like they were mocking the period like and and yeah. this really felt like you were plopped in and you're right it, the dante spinati did the cinematography and it's a great film for night cinematography oh absolutely yeah you know so there's these weird things about this film but i've i go back to it and rewatch it from time to time because i just it has a i don't know it has an aesthetic and an energy to it it does yeah it gets you from the opening credits one of the reasons i taught it so much is that it 
communicates a lot of information in really distilled ways, like the way it sets up these three characters at the beginning of the film. Yes. They each get like two to five minutes to introduce them. 20 minutes into the film, you feel like you know who these guys are completely. And that's really uh, not easy to do. I understand the Titanic, but... Far and away, L.A. Confidential was the movie that should have won Best Picture. It won all the critics' awards, it right? Won all, yeah. And it, <laughs> it, but I got to say, I don't watch Titanic anymore, and I do watch L.A. Confidential. The parts that I thought were bad about Titanic are really bad. They're really, yes, they're really bad. Yeah. Like the stuff that Cam- uh, James Cameron does poorly are, are really on display in parts of that movie. Yeah. And it's pretty much everything on the uh, the side story. Yes, with Bill Paxton and the boat and those obnoxious crew members and that stuff is terrible. Yeah, it's cheesy. And then Billy Zane is just unbelievably bad. Not Titanic Rose, anything but Titanic. I mean, <laughs> it was a career killer for that guy because he was so bad in it. <laughs> oh, Rose. but he was he was always bad. I don't know why. Can no. I mean, it, Billy Zane has never been good. <laughs> I know. As a matter of fact, I you know when we had carry on i watched that orlando movie and he yeah. shows up in that too yes I'm like when do people think that they should be casting this guy <laughs> like every time he walks on screen it's like the movie falls apart didn't he in the, also in the late 90s didn't he get to play like a some kind of weird uh, superhero character a comic book character yes i think i think he did a movie called the phantom that's it that's it yeah <laughs> yeah that was his superhero vehicle oh boy okay okay what else you got uh, this movie uh, was big at the time and I think it was really about the two performances, both won Best Actor and Actress that year, uh, more than the directing, which it did not get nominated for Best Director, was James L. Brooks's As Good As It Gets. Did we see that together? Yeah, so you had come to visit me yes. for a couple of days, and we did like this movie marathon yeah, where yeah, yeah. we saw, we started off with As Good As It Gets. Yep. Then later we went and watched Goodwill Hunting. Yep. Which also gets nominated this, uh, for Best Picture and Director. And then that night we went and saw Jackie Brown. That's right. Okay. Which over time, the movie that we all walked out going, what the fuck? That movie was terrible. <laughs> I've reevaluated, have watched it a dozen times, and I think it is close to a masterpiece. Yeah. So it's so weird that sometimes, uh, you know, it's just about expectations. But Whereas as good as it gets, I really liked at the time haven't thought about it much since. And yeah, I mean, I think if we went to watch it now, it would feel pretty 90s dated. Yeah. But at the time, you know, it was uh, Helen Hunt and Jack Nicholson, his last Oscar-winning performance. And I think Goodwill Hunting actually holds up. What else you got? Is that all the... No, there's one more movie, and it was nominated for Best Picture and Director, and... I didn't even think it was a good movie, and I can't believe it was nominated, and I've never seen it a second time. It was a big comedy smash. How it got nominated over the ice storm, which I thought was amazing and should have been in its place, is the full Monty. Yeah, can you believe that? Can we just move on? Yeah, well, then there was one other film that got nominated for Best Director, and I don't know if you've ever seen this movie, but because it got nominated for Director, I went to see it, Uh and I'm still scratching my head wondering, what did the director see about this film? The Sweet Hereafter 
Adam Agoyan. Wait, you didn't like it? No. Oh, interesting. I didn't even. I don't know if I even respected it. I just find it's really super depressing. I mean, my God. Well, yes, it's like one of the most depressing movies ever. It really is. It's like you want to see a downer of a movie. It's like hmm, Dancer in the Dark or The Sweet Hereafter. Which one do you like <laughs> first? I uh, yeah, no, I like The Sweet Hereafter. Okay, but I, uh, I agree. It's totally depressing. It's really the only Adam McGoyan movie that I like. Well, he makes Exotica, and then he makes this, and then he just makes crap for the rest yes. of his. It's like, what happened to that guy? The adjuster is actually not bad. The adjuster. Why do I feel like I've seen that? It's about an insurance adjuster. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) Okay. Well, uh, all right. And it's actually, yeah, it's actually pretty good. I was just going to throw in some honorable mentions from 97. Ice Storm is my film that I feel like Ang Lee's great movie should have been nominated. And then The Full Monty gets nominated. (laughs) How about Boogie Nights? Thank you. Oh, I'm glad we fried. So, yes. So, if I was filling out my top five, Ice Storm was in my top five that year. LA Confidential was in my top five year. Dark City was in my top five that year. And Boogie Nights. Yes. Which I still can't believe didn't get nominated for Best picture but it's still watched and people still like it i felt like paul thomas anderson was saying i may never get another shot so i'm putting everything in and i love it for that but it's also a little bit over the top at times because he has no restraint right but the mess is perfect and it has so many classic lines and so many scenes and the great performance there by um julianne moore yes she was nominated i thought she should have should have won over kim bassinger for la confidential yeah which is not much of a performance again this is where my head's scratching because julianne moore it's just there's no contest there's no contest yeah the first time I saw it uh, was at a screening with Paul Thomas Anderson. You you were sitting next to him hanging out? No, I'm just kidding. No, but he was there. He like did a Q&A afterwards. Yeah, was he all hopped up? <laughs> kind of. Yeah, he had, some, he had some issues back then, I guess. But at one point, somebody asked him about this shot in the movie. And his response was, it's this handheld shot inside the house. It's a really long shot. And he said... Uh, He said, well, sometimes it doesn't really have anything to do with the story, but it's a really cool shot. So you put it in the movie. Hmm. And I thought, yeah, that's that's not a good reason, actually. Well, he probably didn't have, you know, he probably had more to say now. Yes, he would. Yeah. Considering he only made one other movie and that was earlier that year came out, Card 8. And I rewatched that a few months ago, sort of on your behest. Yeah. And I had a lot of problems with that movie still. Like it starts off great. And then by the end of it, I'm right back where I started going, oh. Yeah. It's got some great moments. It just, yeah. Heard it was butchered by the studio and I would love to see the cut that he imagined. I'd love to see the Paul Thomas Anderson cut. Yeah. Okay. So are we ready for 98? Yep. I'm going to go, I'm going to go in a different order just because with the build up here and it's the ultimate Harvey Weinstein power grab. Oh, oh, yeah, I know. You know I know. I, when we talked about the nineties. Yeah. You think about 98. Yeah. 98 is the year that typifies everything that's wrong with the Oscars. Yes. So here's some nominees. Guy hadn't made a movie in 20 years. He comes roaring back. I don't even think that the Academy liked it so much, but they, <laughs> they but felt, they they felt like to. since they felt like since Days of Heaven wasn't nominated for Best Picture, let's nominate Terrence Malick's Return with a Thin Red Line, a movie that I think is two thirds amazing and the last third just isn't there. Yeah, I've always wanted to see a longer cut of this movie because I feel like the last third 
is a problem because of the way it's cut. That's the problem. The problem is right. It doesn't work because it's clear that things were cut out and it works for a while, but then it's badly chopped. It just doesn't work. Exactly. And but the first half of the movie, I think, is brilliant. It it's brilliant up until the hills taken. I think. Yes. Exactly. Yep. And then you know, um, and Elias Coteus is great in it. Yes. Adrian Bro is supposed to be his breakout star film, and then basically he's like, "What happened to my?" role they cut the entire role out and uh, instead somebody else becomes the the, the focus lead. and that's that's malik for you he got a yep. taste um but i was happy that it got nominated for best yeah. picture because i was also in that like respect the malik exactly yeah harvey weinstein his first big strike is life is beautiful roberto benini hate that movie i know it's a very polarized movie you either love it or you hate it i remember seeing it in the theater and thought it was good i thought i I liked it however i didn't think it should be best picture or director or actor and that was embarrassing that he won best actor that year it was incredibly embarrassing one of the most embarrassing oscar moments in oscar history (laughs) his career has suffered since because of that but you know the academy did love those holocaust themed films they did yeah and harvey weinstein was there pushing 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 yes um another movie that came out i i liked it it didn't get nominated for Best Director. I thought it should. And I thought this is the performance that should have gotten Best Actress that year. And that was Kate Blanchett in Elizabeth. Oh, yes. I really liked that movie. However, a few years later, same filmmaker made a sequel. And that is a terrible movie. Would, and I have not seen it. It's just so funny that Elizabeth could be so good. Yeah. And the sequel could be so terrible. But it is. I thought Kate Blanchett was like, all the critics gave her best actress. She should have won, but she was robbed as well as the pers- the, the film that won the best picture robbed the movie that should have. Um, so in its place is Peter Weir, The Truman Show was nominated for best director. And I didn't like The Truman Show. Yeah, I don't like The Truman Show. I feel like just when it's going somewhere, it ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I didn't buy the whole concept. And I didn't buy Jim Carrey. No, and I know that people were shocked that he didn't get nominated for Best Actor, but I didn't really like his performance. I didn't like his performance either, and I, I actually feel like it's a really weak part of the movie, that the movie would have been a lot better without him. I also think it was kind of funny because, in a sense, The Truman Show kind of became real over the years with um, with reality television, right? Yeah. However, what I what really bothered me is that it seems so obvious where the cameras were always placed and how he could go his whole life not knowing. Right. And then there was these other things, these little tropes that bothered me where they would always show like America watching and being so right. And they would show the same few people yes. and those scenes bothered me. So it really I, I really don't believe that Peter Weir should have been nominated for Best Director. I agree. So now <laughs> this is the film that I feel should have won Best Picture. Did mm-hmm. win Best Director. Uh, was Steven Spielberg saving Private Ryan. Yes, should have won Best Picture. There are a couple of flaws in the movie. One in particular. And they... it's the one that some people can't forgive. Which one is that? The the fade in from the old man's face to yes. Tom Hanks and then the fade out at the end. You know, that device, which was probably in the script. I also, I, I remember at the end thinking, well, that's weird. <laughs> yes. Again, it's been many, many, many times uh, replicated since this film, yes. but and it's been repeated by more than just us. When you watch this movie, and it's still, it's probably the most brilliant piece of like 15 to 20 minutes yeah. on screen. 
The D-Day landing is amazing. It had never been filmed like that before. Um, and then even the other war battle scenes, too. Oh, yeah. The whole approach, the direction. So when we think of what a director does. Yeah, this is. I didn't know he could do this. Right. For those parts of the movie, he threw away his typical rule book. To me, the weak parts of the movie are where his rule, his typical rule book comes in. Yeah. There, there's these sort of sentimental uh, moments and like the shots of the mother's house are like it's a little too postcardish. It's a little too postcardish, and it feels a little bit manipulative emotionally. Yeah, that whole thing though. I can tell you the sequence leading up, and it's it's classic Spielberg, but it works and it's so good. Is when the typists are all typing up and how they write. Like, there's a way that he stitches scenes together that it feels extremely Spielberg, but yet yes. it's good. And then it, then then it follows up though with the mom's house, and I know exactly what you're saying. Yeah. For the parts that are just so amazing and that experience, seeing it open night and just being riveted and kind of upset and shocked, I felt that that was the best film that I saw in 98. Yeah. Then there's a movie that at the time I thought was a nice film, enjoyed it actually, and thought was probably in my top 10 that year, but the thought that it could ever win Best Picture and also Best Actress over Kate Blanchett would be Harvey Weinstein's power move. (laughs) Shakespeare in Love. Winner of Best Picture. Winner of Best Picture. Surprise winner. To me, the most shocking surprise. Yeah. More so than Crash, in my opinion. As far as surprises. We'll talk about that when we get into the 2000s. (laughs) But yeah, Shakespeare in Love uh, is, it's. I'm sorry, it's just not a good movie. Oh, now you don't even like it. I. It's a comedy. I know, and I kind of liked it when I first saw it. But right, but it's diminished because it won Best Picture and Best Actress. Exactly. And and it's also just kind of a decent movie. Like It's not great. I have only watched it from beginning to end once in the theater. So, honorable mentions. In 98. Yes. Hit me up, baby. Big Lebowski. Oh, well, okay. So, <laughs> you know, and we'll, we'll have probably have an old episode. As you know, and we've talked about. Yes. I was an early achiever. <laughs> yes, you were. I saw that uh, opening weekend and it was in the middle of the Titanic rage. The theater was hopping and electric with crowds for Titanic. Yes. And you almost look like an idiot that you were seeing anything else. (laughs) And so we went and saw that and I was the only person (laughs) that was not just laughing, but I was on the floor laughing. And I think people were looking at me because it was a movie (laughs) I just got. I just clicked and before it left theaters, it was still playing in Cambridge. I dragged a friend of mine to go see it. And I just, it was a movie I loved and I've seen it a good 20 times. And of course, then then the rest of the, the country and the world found right. it. But Jeff Bridges' performance, I feel and I felt then was Oscar worthy. Yes. And he was not nominated. Nothing about that movie was nominated. No, nothing. It was it was quickly forgotten that movie, and then later remembered. Incredible. Everyone remembers it. Everyone watches it still. So if I could have gone back, I would have put him in definitely as a nominee. Yeah. And my winner for best actor that year would have been. Uh, Tom Hanks in Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. I thought he was fantastic in there. I actually think it's his best performance as an actor. Oh, interesting. And yet, Roberto Benigni 
for life is beautiful. He's <laughs> your oh. best actor that year. That's what, you know, again, this is why we're looking at the, these choices the Academy yeah. made. Okay, so now we are at the final year. Yes. 99. Now, 99, a lot of people look and say 99 represents one of the greatest years in memory for movies. I disagree. I disagree as well. I, I like think there's a lot of good movies, but this is the funny thing. The movies that are in the top five, the best picture nominees, yeah. these are not five films that I would have put in there at all. So like right. I'm, in, I'm kind of stuck <laughs> with the choice for best picture that year. I might have also voted for best picture only because I may have liked it more than the other four nominees. Interesting. Okay. The film that I think is the best film of 99 is a film that you and I both agree. I think it's probably our pick for best picture of 99. And that would be Eyes Wide Shut. Absolutely. Without question. And then also noted, it got nominated for screenplay that year. And it's a great, I think it's one of the great supporting performances. Tom Cruise's performance in Magnolia. Yes. And I like Magnolia. I'm rewatching it, actually. I know it's problematic in a lot of ways and flawed in a lot of ways, but I've seen it a number of times and I like it. I mean, like I said, I'm rewatching to reevaluate because we will do Paul Thomas Anderson at a later date. Yeah. Best picture and director. And it was pretty much going to win that year. There's no surprise. And it was un, it was against, I think, weak competition. Yeah. And that is American Beauty. Yeah, which I... We know you hate it. <laughs> I hate it. I absolutely hate this movie. But here's the funny thing. I've only seen it beginning to end one time. Uh, I've seen it twice. I only saw it once. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it. It was probably a top 10 movie, like number 10 for me that yeah. year if I went back. But it, it was... but. I was like, yeah, I liked it better than the Cider House Rules. Uh, oh, don't, let's, you know, let's just ignore Harvey that Harvey Weinstein movie. again. Harvey Weinstein <laughs> comes roaring in. Cider House Rules. There's no way that that get, movie gets nominated for anything. I saw American Beauty at a preview screening, like, before all the hype. Okay. I walked out of the movie and I turned to the person I was with and I, I said, there's nothing to say about that movie that it doesn't already say for itself. Like, it's so obvious and so blatant and telegraphs everything that there's no mystery to it at all. People liked it. Yeah. Well, people suck. Ouch. Okay. <laughs> uh, Cider House Rules. Cider House Rules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So also in 1999, I know we're still... Oh, Election. Yes. Oh, that didn't get nominated for Best Picture, but I liked Election. I like Election. Wait, are we done with 99? No. Oh, okay. No, I only got up to the Cider House rules. It gets worse. Uh, okay. It gets worse. Wait till the... Look, there was all these movies. You said Election. You, you'll give me another one. Because anything is got to be better than The Green Mile. Oh. Frank Darabont comes in with another Stephen King adaptation. Yeah, and this time it doesn't work. I, I thought it was okay. I like Tom Hanks and everything, but I'm like, the Jesus allegory was a little much. And then I'm like, but this movie got nominated for Best Picture? Why? The, the movie just, to me, is flat. Right. So you tell me, right, out of these choices so far, American Beauty, Cider House Rules, Green Mile, which one are you picking? I'm not. I'm not picking yet. Okay. So Green Mile, though, didn't get nominated. Frank Darabond, again, does not get does nominated. Does not for get director. the director, yeah. Spike Jones for being John Malkovich. Gets the director. Okay. I didn't like that movie that much either. Have you seen it since? No. I found John Cusack's performance is annoying. Yeah. Well, it, the character is annoying. Yeah. So I have to, that's because I have some problems right there. But yeah. I do love the fact that w when Malkovich is at the side of the road and someone pulls up and goes, 
hey, Malkovich, and he throws a can at his head. <laughs> like, that's just a great idea. Like, instead of like, hey, John Malkovich is the side of the road, yeah. it's like, hey, Malkovich, and he tosses a can at his head. Like, that's, that's, that's to me, probably a masterstroke of why. And, and yeah. also when Malkovich is in Malkovich's own head. That section is brilliant. It's, it's a fun movie. So, again, I, I would say better than The Green Mile. But you know what's funny? Between being John Malkovich and uh, the next one the the sort of spiritual sequel adaptation I've yeah. I've seen adaptation more than I've seen being John Malkovich. I loved adaptation, which we yeah. saw together. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so then another film that probably was going to give American Beauty possibly a run for its money, won a lot of critical awards, uh, best director, best picture. I, I've seen it a couple of times. I respect it more than I enjoyed it. It's kind of like to me, it's the quiz show of 99 is the insider i love the insider you love it i do i love this movie that would be your choice for best picture so far yeah is that are we done with all five no we got one last one okay well so far then i would choose the insider i I really like the insider i don't have anything to say on it it's like you know it's a well-made movie yeah it's it's a well-made movie i think the performance is great mostly i like the screenplay okay well you know you're a screenplay guy yeah And this, from a fan perspective, out of the five, was probably the one that I enjoyed the most. It was a huge sensation. We've talked about it before. Best picture, best director, he's gone downhill since, is The Sixth Sense. I mean, (laughs) he's gone downhill since in the way that Orson Welles went downhill. Yeah, except for we can't compare Sixth Sense to Citizen Kane. But yeah, I mean, he's... He's had a pretty much of a roller coaster downhill with a couple of bumps up. Yeah. When he made that uh, one movie a couple years ago, did pretty good. And then he made the sequel and I can't get through it. It's the, it's the worst movie ever. Wait, which movie? The movie about the personalities. Split. Oh, Split. Yes. And then Glass, the sequel. The, the sequel is so terrible. You know exactly what's going to happen. It's set up in such a goofy way that after half an hour, my wife and I have not come back to it. Oh, you made it farther than I did. I think I only made about 20 minutes. I thought Split was... Decent. I thought it was a decent B horror flick. Absolutely. Nothing more, nothing less. Yeah. But I mean, you know, again, we've talked about The Sixth Sense and what a sensation it was and the ending and all that stuff. So, I mean, I get why it was nominated. But for 99 to be such an amazing year, like with movies like Election and Eyes Wide Shut, these were the five that they gave us. You would agree on The Insider being in the five. What other movies do you remember from 99 that you loved? Fight Club? Yeah, but but let's face it, that wasn't going to be a best picture, and that has to have been reevaluated. People love it now, but nobody was talking about it in 99. I was. Well, except for you. <laughs> I saw it opening day. Me too. And I loved it, and I still do. Yeah, it's such a cinematically creative movie. It's also, I feel like, in a way, sums up the decade. It's like the, the movie the 90s deserves is Fight Club. You know, and it's funny because you're not a Fincher guy, but yet you're saying you really liked Fight Club. You know, I appreciate Fincher. It's just sometimes it works for me better than other times. Uh, So out of the Fincher, uh, Seven, not a bad movie. Yep. Uh, Fight Club, I really like. Benjamin Button, you know, it doesn't feel like a Fincher movie. Never saw it. I mean, maybe you'd like it. Of course, you know where I stand on the social network. I love that. The Zodiac is a movie that people like. Some people think it's the greatest film of the last 10 years. I really respect Zodiac. Yeah. But, and I've watched it a few times. It's definitely very, very watchable, but it, 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 
basically comes down to the end where it's just not very satisfying. Exactly. Okay. So we got through the 90s. Yeah. I'm going to read some things quickly. Okay. Because we're never going to get to it again, I don't think. I had said it. We talked about Alan Davio. Yes. And I just want to run through the decade as fast as we can of the movies nominated for cinematography during those years. So you just kind of kind of listen. Okay. I'm not going to interrupt. Right. So 90, the winner was Dean Semler for Dances with Wolves all that picturesque stuff. Nominated, this would have been my choice, Vittorio Storaro's Dick Tracy. Oh, yeah. Which, I mean, the, the color is Which is beautiful. Fantastic. Yeah, the color saturation. Yeah. It's amazing. Gordon Willis, who was only nominated for one other film, Zelig, he got nominated for Godfather Part 3, the worst looking of the three, and he wasn't nominated <laughs> for the first two, which is a crime because they're, they're a masterpiece they're of cinematography. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and he wasn't nominated for Manhattan, uh, which is amazing. <laughs> he wasn't nominated for Clute, which was amazing. I mean, this guy, he wasn't nominated for All the President's Men, I mean, but he got nominated for Godfather Part 3, so I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Alan Davio for Avalon that year, mm-hmm. and then uh, Philip uh, Rousselot for... Uh, Henry, Henry and June. Okay. Yeah, which was, looked great. Yeah, it does look great. Beautiful movie. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, 1991, I mentioned before, best cinematography, and it deserved it, JFK, Bob Richardson. Yep. This one's a head scratcher, but maybe because of the way they did the special effects, I don't know, was T2 Judgment Day, Adam Greenberg. Interesting. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's weird. Alan Davio, he was in his heyday, Bugsy. Uh, Adrian Biddle for Thelma and Louise. And Stephen Goldblatt for The Prince of Tides, which looked good. Okay. Just, you know. I, I, I didn't, I don't like the cinematography in um, Thelma and Louise. I don't mind it. Okay. Well, whatever. It's a little too Ridley Scott for me. Well, it is very Ridley Scott. Ridley <laughs> yeah. Scott in the desert. Uh, okay. 92. I don't know if I agree with this being the best cinematography, though it was pretty amazing. Philip Rousselot, A River Runs Through It. Oh, yeah. That's typical Academy Award-type cinematography. Yeah. Uh, Clint Eastwood's longtime cinematographer, Jack Green, Unforgiven. Yep. Robert Frage for The Lover. Never saw it. I've seen, believe it or not. Uh, Howard Zen, Tony Pierce Roberts. Okay. And Stephen H. Burham for his super widescreen cinematography of Hoffa. Yeah, I like that guy, Stephen Burham. I, yeah, he had some interesting stuff. Yeah. I think he's retired. 93, winner and definitely should have been was Janusz Kaminski, Schindler's List. Yep. Then also nominated uh, Michael Chapman, The Fugitive. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A movie I have not seen, I think it is Cronenberg. It's a Gu Shangwai, Farewell My Concubine. Okay. Uh, Stuart Dryberg, The Piano. Oh, okay. Uh, and I and I, I think that was good cinematography. Yeah, yeah. And if The Schindler's List hadn't been there, this is the film that I would have chosen. Conrad Hall, Searching Bobby Fisher. Yeah, beautiful. I, beautiful I, cinematography. I just watched that with my kids recently. They they loved it. They loved That's it. That's great. So Searching for Bobby Fisher, Conrad Hall, the great Conrad Hall. 94. <sighs> I'm snoring already. John Toll for Legends of the Fall. Oh, okay. Looked good, but whatever. Don Burgess, Forrest Gump. Okay. Petur Sabachinsky for Red. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. 94, Marks in the History, Roger Deakins' first nomination, The Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, that looked nice. And then, probably my favorite cinematography of the year, the great Owen Roysman, Wyatt Earp. 
Oh yes, some of the best night photography. That movie, I just we now we're looking ninety four. Oh, I thought it was a top ten film. And yeah. it was a movie no one saw. I saw it in the theater and I loved it. I feel like uh, it, you know, is overshadowed by Tombstone. Yeah, the shorter movie. <laughs> the shorter movie, the shorter, more cartoony movie. Yeah, Wyatt Earp is amazing. Is amazing, and Tombstone is not ninety five. John Toll, two time winner in a row. For Braveheart. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Goldblatt again gets nominated for Batman Forever. <laughs> wow. A lot of color in that movie. Yeah, yeah. Cartoon colors. Um, the first nominee for this famous cinematographer, Emmanuel Lubieski for A Little Princess. That was, uh, I think, a hidden gem of the 90s for me. I, I love that movie. I'm a big fan of the Shirley Temple original, so of course I was scoffing at this, but I would like to see it again and re-examine. Well, what's his name directed it? Yeah, Alfonso Cuaron. Yeah, Cuaron, yeah, yeah. It's his first uh, big American film. Yep. This one, another Academy Snooze Fest. As far as cinematography, it's just expected. Michael Coulter, Sense and Sensibility. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, this movie was a one of the films that Bill said thought he should should get nominated for Best Picture was Louis uh, for Shanghai Triad. Oh, okay. Never saw it. Never saw yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, 96, again, they love those painterly sort of- Yes, uh, they do. Beautiful yep. films. The English patient, John Seal. They love those painterly epics. And John Seal did uh, Mad Max, Fury Road. Yes. All respect there. <laughs> Uh, then the great, this cinematographer never gets nominated, though they do tons and tons of amazing things, but Darius Kanji, Avita, Avita. Oh, yeah. I saw that movie. Roger Deakins, again, great cinematography here. Not very showy as far as like what the Academy thinks, but it was nominated with Fargo. Yeah. Uh, this, I think you'll agree, is a great choice because we just talked about this film not too long ago. Caleb Dachanel for Fly Away Home. Yes. And yeah, that is a great choice. Yeah. And then uh, Chris Menges for Michael Collins. Sure. Whatever. Now, 97, this one I actually have a problem with because I think the cinematography is not that great. It's okay, but it's just not why it should be nominated for it shouldn't win uh russell carpenter for titanic yeah I, I i'm with you on that dante spinotti for la confidential beautiful absolutely uh, another film actually very beautiful is roger deakins gets another nod for kundun oh okay yeah Marty kundun i liked it <laughs> sorry <laughs> Then uh, Janusz Kaminski, and I actually think the cinematography is not good. It didn't suit the film, is Amistad. I totally agree with you on that, but it's such a misguided film in so many ways that that just adds to the pile. And then a film I did see in the theater, don't remember it very well, but I think the cinematography was good, but Eduardo Sara's The Wings of the Dove. Never saw it. Yeah, it was good. Um, okay, 98. Saving Private Ryan, yeah. winner, Janusz Kaminski, absolutely innovative, amazing, yep. definitely should have won, and it did. Uh, but close on its heels, another amazing looking film, John Toll, The Thin Red Line. Yes. Movie that I would have put in there, was not nominated, was Roger Deakins for The Big Lebowski. Of course, yeah. Deakins, they should just nominate Deakins every year. Well, whether they almost do now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, he only, and he always deserves it. So anyways, yeah. Conrad Hall, Civil Action. That's that's a nicely shot movie, and it's not, and it's a pretty weak movie. Yes, it is. Uh, great book, though. Remy Edifarsarin for Elizabeth. 
Okay. And then the Richard Gretrex for Shakespeare and Love. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. And then 99. 99. American Beauty, the winner, Conrad Hall. Yeah, I disagree with that. But I think it's probably why the movie was successful, because it's innovative and, and memorable and the things with the pedals and all that crap. And But I don't think I would put him as the winner. Oh, I wouldn't, because I'll tell you, because the winner is in the nominees, and I'll tell you that yeah. the guy who should have won. So it was not Conrad Hall that year for me, but it won. Roger Pratt, The End of the Affair, which I did see in the theater, and it is amazing looking. Yes. Dante Spinotti, The Insider, great cinematography. Yeah. Jaw-dropping, amazing cinematography, a movie I don't think anybody has seen. And if you think you saw everything that this guy has to offer, you didn't see Robert Richardson's beautiful lensing of snow falling on cedars. I have seen that movie. You didn't think it looked amazing? I did think it looked amazing. I I did not think the movie was amazing. The movie's okay. As a matter of fact, is that the guy, Scott Hicks? That's Scott Hicks. Yeah, that was his his follow-up to Shine. Hello. (laughs) And everyone expected this to be like a Best Picture winner. Oh, no. And it kind of just falls flat. No, but it it looked great. Yeah. I saw it on, uh, you know, DVD. Now, the movie that should have won Best Cinematography because I think it is spectacular. I think it's one of the best shot films of the 90s. Emmanuel Lubieski, and he did get the nominee, should have won for Sleepy Hollow. Oh, yeah. That's that's a beautiful looking movie. Yes. Most people wouldn't realize the entire thing was shot on a soundstage, even though most of it takes place outdoors. And yes. it's so amazing looking that you would never know. Yep. So there you go. We've we've we've, we've done it done, again. A nice super long episode. We've gotten through the nineties. Well, we'll never have to touch it again. <laughs> no more talk of the nineties. Okay. Yeah. No. No more honorable mentions. We've got all of those out of the way. Probably. I didn't prepare. I was. I, I had. I had sent Bill on a whole errand to do all that work, and then he shows up today, and I feel bad because we love Bill from Queens. And he hasn't been yeah. on a long time, and he thought he had everything set, but. Did, had some bandwidth issues, and we weren't getting a good connection, and we could hardly hear him. So Bill was gracious and understood, and he bowed out, and so he did not get to be on this program. Which is unfortunate, because that would have been fun. We would have, because, you know, Bill's, when we say Bill from Queens, he really is from Queens, and he was- And his name really is Bill. And his name really is Bill, but we, <laughs> he was going to give us like a on the ground, what it's like- to actually be in the epicenter of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and we were going to talk to him a little bit about that because, you know, all joking aside, as we do in this program, you know, he, he and his family have actually, thankfully, they're all safe and, and stuff, but they're there living through it. And, you know, when you see things like we saw this week with these people in Michigan in their cars yeah. honking and saying shut down, it's like, well, why don't you go take that party down in New York City in one of the hospitals? <laughs> see, and see, see how the that goes over. And, yeah. and this guy, he, was, he would tell you because he told me that he he's hearing sirens out his door 24 seven. Of course. And, yep. You know, it's like, it, it's to me, it's very disrespectful to people who've actually gone through this tragedy and he's done it twice. This guy, Bill actually was there, not, not at the world trade center, right, but, but he but, was nine 11. He was in New York and I actually think he was in town. He had to walk back uh, across the bridge to Queens and, you know, the smell and the smoke oh, yeah. and, you know, he actually lived through something and it's just, we talk about all the patriotism that was there for New York Yeah, and now people are like, but when, when can I go out and like watch a baseball game? Yeah. That, that's <laughs> the most important thing is those baseball games. Yeah. So, I mean, again, I wanted to talk to him about that and maybe we'll get a chance at some point, but, uh, and, and I'm sure he would have had some good honorable mentions for the nineties. He was already, yeah, he was already rattling them off and I couldn't yeah. hear 
hear him very well, but uh, he was doing his work, so I, I apologize because um, you can see that besides the list, we didn't do our work as to what all the other good movies were. Uh, maybe we'll do better when we get to the next decade, which For I don't know when decade. we'll do that. I yeah, that, at some point in the future. In the future, yes, yes, yes. yes. Right, right. So I think, well, I don't know when these things will air because we've got an episode running right now. Then this will be sometime next week. And then uh, I don't know if we're going to be taping next week because even though there's no school in school, there's still school vacation. So you have a school vacation coming up next week that you are going to have people looking for you to be entertaining them. Yes. <laughs> yep. I will be on I'm the entertainment. I, I'm, I'll, I'll be wearing a clown wig and uh, great. Yeah. You're entertaining me on a weekly basis. <laughs> keeping me, keeping me happy. Keeping you, you keeping you happy. Good. Good. If, if I can do that, if I can keep you happy and maybe one or two of our listeners. Yeah. Well, I don't think, I mean, you know, you, you don't, you don't realize that uh, getting a chance to do this show and talk about movies and, and anything else, but the like realities that sometimes we have, it, it does make me feel happy to do me this. too. So if it's making you happy, let us know. Contact us. Send us your uh, pics from the 90s. Oh, when somebody reaches out and they send us a little note, like at feedback at stuffweseen.com, I love it. I love yes, hearing from our listeners because it just, you know, it makes me feel like, okay, it was worth doing this. You exactly. Know, we we're not making any money doing it. We're doing it for fun, but we're also doing it to give somebody an entertainment. And sometimes it's Bill from Queens. That <laughs> sometimes really, it's, it's Bill from Queens. So, Like I know he listens every week and, I, and, he, and it means something to him. I should say we're not opposed to having guests either. If you're a listener of the show and you think you might want to be a guest, let us know. Yeah, you just have to have a better setup than Bill from Queens. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Bill. Well, well, but Carrie Chalmers, right? She came through and we yeah. could hear her. And she's actually, uh, she she said that she didn't like the way she sounded, that she needed a better mic. And she's got that mic and she'd like to come back on. And Great. I think in a few weeks, we, we got to figure out, she likes to well, have a theme. So maybe we'll be having yeah. some more female uh, directors. I don't know, but we're going to get her back on soon. Excellent. All right. Okay. And I thought this was going to be a shorter episode, but that was wrong. <laughs> and that's going to take me forever to edit it. But hey. All right. Bye. Bye. Be some kind of stupid nuts.